Well, it's a great honor and privilege to be with you this morning. And um, it's a, it's, it's a, as we partner together, the churches, we've known Mark and Carrie and Kara. Kara. It's all right. He That's forgets all right. my name yeah. sometimes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, glory. But, uh, yeah, I know Mark uh, and uh, Josiah are in contact a lot. And, and so we're partnering together. And yeah. so we feel like this is family. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily feel like a guest here, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's just a real privilege uh, to be able to share with you. And we just were, uh, we shared not too long ago with the church a, a message, but we just kept coming back and coming back to this. And so I just, uh, you know, I just, we just counted a great privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Amen. Did Amen. you want to say anything else? No. Oh. no, I'll just tell them um, it's funny. When Marlon and I were first married, we were, so his has been a, a thing that's kind of been funny all of our life. He was introducing me to someone, and he goes, this is my wife. Um, um, I said, Charlotte is my name. So it's been a, a running joke that if Marlon gets your name mixed up, please don't be offended. <laughs> he mixes up all of his children. He mixes up mine. But the one thing is for sure. He is a man that is faithful and kind and loving, and I am very privileged to be married to this man beside me. So I know. It's been a blessing. How many years? 40, uh, 41 in 41 August. 41 in August. And it's, been a, it's been a journey, and it's been a, an absolute privilege. wouldn't trade my life for anything. Yeah. God has a plan, and it's so great. But uh, So we just want to pray, and we'll begin. The way we're going to do is uh, sometimes Charlotte and I minister together. But I think we'll tag it this morning, and, and Charlotte will start, and, and I'll end up, and then we'll come up together and, and uh, see what the Lord does. But, uh, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank, thank you, Lord, Lord God, for this time together. We just ask, Lord, that you would bring forth revelation and understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, that you would empower us and encourage us, instruct us, correct us, uh, whatever we need in Jesus' name to go out and and to walk the way you have called us to, to walk, be who you've called us to be. And, Father, we might, that we might model the gospel to the world in Jesus' name. We just give you the praise right now. Amen. Amen. I'd like you, if you have a Bible or if you want to look at it on the screen, turn to Micah, chapter 6. I'm going to share this morning um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But I believe in light of the craziness that we're living in right now, Sometimes we always need to go back to what God actually requires of us. What is it that God wants us to do in the midst of every circumstance? How many of you know that God's word is true even if it's not popular? God's word is true even if it goes against the narrative of the day. Isn't that right? Because God is the only one who is completely holy who knows everything, right? He's the only one that sees everything, and our God is not ever surprised. So if we're going through something, he has already prepared a way for you because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So a few weeks ago, God brought me back to this scripture in Micah chapter 6, and in light of the, what I listened to Mark's preach last week, was very, very good on authentic leadership. I think that this particular passage is also good in that realm. 
And whether you're a leader right now or not, you're always leading somebody. Somebody is watching you. And so Micah, in chapter 6, verse 8, this is what it says. It says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. Now, the word good in the Hebrew means functional, not dysfunctional. That's what the word means. God hasn't called us to be dysfunctional, but to function in the way that he has designed us and fashioned us to function. So he said, he has shown you, O man, what is good or functional, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We're going to unpack this this morning, and I hope that God will show us a few nuggets that might help us navigate in this season. First of all, the word do means to do or make. It's the word asa in Hebrew. To accomplish, to advance, or to bring forth. It is an active word, not an inactive word. Say active. It's active. God's word is powerful and it's active, and he wants it to be activated in our lives to move through us. Amen? So, he says, do justly. Now, the word justly is a sermon all in and of itself, and I couldn't, I I can't go into it completely. It's the word mishpat. And it means to take God's divine justice and to do what is right in God's eyes, and to literally flesh that out into the marketplace. In other words, it's not just to do what's right. It's to do what's right in the circumstances of life. And there is only one who is just, right? I mean, aren't you glad I'm not the judge? I'm so glad I'm not the judge. Jesus is the judge. I love that line. I don't remember. It was this movie many years ago about this the first african-american debate team and they used to say his their coach used to say to them who's the judge they'd say god's the judge who's the judge god's the judge and in our lives we need to understand that we don't always see everything perfectly but if we get with god and apply certain things that we're going to see here he will help us to do justly in every circumstance, whether it's at work, making decisions when no one else sees them, to do what is right when no one else is looking, to walk in God's judgment and to flesh it out in our everyday life. Our son kind of was preaching around this for a couple of weeks about what it really looks like to live justly to fight for underprivileged. And I'll tell you what, one who has worked in that arena for many, many years, breaking cycles of poverty, it is not a hashtag on Facebook. It requires a lot of work. It requires building bridges into our communities. It requires us to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Amen? And some people like to hashtag stuff, but very few people want to get their hands dirty. And guys, God has called us to go into the highways and byways of life and to build bridges and to bring God's justice into circumstances in the marketplace. This is training for what's going to happen out there, right? 
We're training here. We're practicing with each other so we don't mess it up out there. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just for here. You'll be walking in the grocery store, and all of a sudden, God will show you something about somebody. You don't go up there and go, Shonda, and start prophesying over them in the middle of King Supers. But there's ways that you can introduce God. Like, oh, are you having a bad day today? Or just bring a smile. And sometimes people will just open up their heart. And all of a sudden, God will flow into that circumstance. I've had that happen to me so many times. But we've got to be willing to be the vessel to speak God's truth and to bring his justice. But I think one of the biggest things is that God's justice, he is the one that's just, is for us to keep the right perspective and to see things from the way he sees things. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can do that is by standing before him continually, cutting out all the noise and saying, okay, God, I see a lot of reactions on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebooker. I use it mainly to work into the nations and that kind of stuff. But I do keep abreast. It's the way kids talk and all that kind of stuff. And I've actually had to message some people and say, guys, I don't put it out on Facebook. I message them directly. Guys, watch what you're saying on Facebook. Watch what, you know, because Facebook, people can say things they would never say if they looked at you eye to eye, face to face, right? And it doesn't matter if we're on Facebook, if we're an email, if we're texting. We need to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And more than that, doing right in what God is saying is doing it when no one else is looking. In those secret places to let God's justice flow through us. And speaking what God lays out as just, even when it's not popular. And we know that's going on today. Secondly, he says we're to love mercy. These two go hand in hand. You cannot have justice without having mercy. You see, we have this just God, but we have this merciful God. And the two go together. It's just like with our children. My husband used to say this. Rules without relationship will produce rebellion. Do this because I'm the mama. Mama says so. No, (laughs) we do this because this is the right thing to do in God's eyes. And we build relationships with our kids, right? Because if we just have rules without relationship, the automatic result of that is rebellion. You see, God's justice without God's mercy can look very harsh. But when we see it in light through the lens of mercy, he is a God that is just but he is a God that is merciful. The word love is the word ahab, and it means to have an affection for like a friend. That means embrace mercy. Love it like a friend. You got a bud, you got somebody you like, you like being around them, that's what we're to do with mercy. We're to love it when others, it also means to love it when others get mercy extended towards them. Yeah, I like it when others get mercy extended towards them unless it's somebody I don't like and they get what I wanted. Understand? We're to love mercy whenever we see it extended. 
God's mercy endures forever. That's what the Bible says. And we, God's people, are to have an affection for it when it is extended. But so many times, guys, we just don't love mercy. We love retribution. They got what they deserved. What you sow, you reap. Which is true. But I'm so glad I get to reap under the mercy of God. Yeah, I've had to reap in my life. But I've had to reap under the mercy of God. And we need to rejoice when we see God's mercy extended in others. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18. You can turn there if you'd like. It's a very familiar one. Actually, I would recommend young people, old people, read Matthew 18 periodically. It's got so much wisdom truth just about how we're to deal with conflict in the body of Christ, the Matthew 18, 18 principle. How many times do we talk about things and then we go to our brother to get it straightened out? Well, I, you know, I've had lots of people say, well, I'm just trying to get, you know, I'm trying to flesh it out and get perspective. I said, but baby, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to the person that offends you and work it out. That's in Matthew 18. And also in Matthew 18, there's this amazing story about this king. And this king was owed a lot of money. He was owed a lot of money in verse 21. We start, and I love Peter. How many of you like Peter? I relate to Peter. I'm always the one that opens my mouth and inserts foot. And Peter came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Isn't that like us? I mean, I remember working with teenagers for so many years. I love teenagers. I love that age. I love it that they kind of push the boundaries, you know. They kind of kick against what's religious in our lives. Isn't that right? And even the older I get, I I still like teenagers. And I know some people don't like that. They just want you to follow all the rules and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of like it when you ask questions and you challenge because that's how you grow. That's how you find. If you seek, you will find. But so many times they would be like, they'd be talking to me about certain things, like sin or all that kind of stuff. And they just want to know, okay, Miss Charlotte, tell me how, how close, I mean, how close is the edge here on this issue? You know, and I'd let them talk to me about anything. And they could come and talk about sex, talk about whatever they wanted to, talk about drugs, what's happening, all that kind of stuff. And they'd be like, well, is this sex? I mean, I'm not going to say it here. It's on live stream. They'd ask me questions. And I'd say, well, um, if sex is in the word, I think that is. In other words, there was a lot that was coming out at that time. And all these kids, I used to tell them, ask me. Don't ask your friends. They don't know. I'm an old person. I've lived a little longer. Ask me. And I'm not going to be shocked, and I'll talk to you about it. But they would want to find out, where is the line where I can walk right? How close can I get to the edge without falling off? Have we ever done that? I mean, I did. There was a time in my life when I thought every good plant was good to smoke. I knew... I wasn't supposed to mess around, but I wasn't so sure if every herb wasn't good. You guys look at me so holy. I can assure you now that I am not smoking weed today. 
But why do I say this? Sometimes we're trying to find out where that edge is, just like Peter was. And this is what the response was. He said, how many times do I have to forgive them? And Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of this king. First, he says, he says up to seven times. And Jesus didn't answer him with a number. He answered them with a parable and a story, didn't he? He says, there was this king. And this man came to him, to this king, and he owed him a great debt. It was a lot of money. He owed him a great debt. And he says... He was not able to pay this man. And he commanded him and he said, with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. In those days, if you couldn't pay your debts, the children, the whole family were put into prison. And they had to work it off, work off that debt. And the servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved, in verse 27, with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. That is what Jesus has done for us. We have a debt we couldn't pay, and he forgave us the whole debt. Forgave all of it. And then you know what this man did? He did like so many of us do. He went to someone who just owed him a few pennies. And he threw him in jail. We do that all the time. If we're, not, if we're honest, we, we do that all the time. Well, they wronged me. Well, they did this to me. Well, this is going on. Well, that is going on. But God says, God says that we're to love mercy and we're to extend compassion. You see, that is part of the character of God. He is just and he is merciful. But I have learned over the years that in order for me to walk in complete forgiveness with others and to keep a short list of accounts, there's something that I must do. Because you see, unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. It'll eat you up on the inside. Maybe you've been wounded in a church. Maybe someone has done you wrong. And guess what? You hang around me, you're going to see my flaws. There is no person in the body of Christ that is perfect. Right? Say, I'm not perfect. But I am forgiven and I am trying to walk with Jesus. You see, the power of the gospel is not that we're perfect. It's that... We aren't perfect, and he loves us anyway, and he uses us anyway, and we come together as the body of Christ with all of our differences, with all of our frailty, and he does these amazing things through the church. You see, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that we love one another fervently. That's how they're going to know us. They're not going to know us by our judging fingers and all of that. They're going to know us because we love each other in community. We show them and flesh out what it looks like to love mercy. But the only way that I can do that is to walk humbly before my God. The word walk here means to walk continually and to follow on and continue in a path of growing. 
It's the Hebrew word halak. You see, we never arrive until we see him face to face. If you think, I mean, I remember, man, I was a good teenager for a while in the body of Christ. I thought I had got all figured out. I had my ten steps to victory. I thought I knew, and you know what? God has this way of just blowing it all up and showing us continually how we need him. We are on a path of growing until the day that we see him face to face. You see, none of us have it all. None of us have it all. That's why we need the body of Christ. You don't have every gift that you need for leadership. That's why he calls us to be in teams. And people are not going to think like you and act like you all the time. They're going to see things differently than you are, and that is not a weakness. That is actually a strength. If we can learn to embrace and listen and work together in harmony, it is a miracle that my husband and I even got married. It's the truth. If it hadn't been for Jesus, I mean, he was a country redneck. I was a hippie city girl. You know, I mean, he didn't like hippies. He thought they were terrible. And I just thought he was an all, you know, ignorant farmer. I'll just be honest. But you know who brought us together? Jesus did. And our worlds collided. And we had the same mission and the same heart. And we fit together beautifully. But we are not going to always see everything the same way. We're not supposed to. We're to, we're to not compete, but we just sort of complete and complement one another. That's how it is in the body of Christ. You see, in our culture, we have made pride an art form. We're self-made. We're self-motivated. It's looked at as an attribute. But in God's economy, it's not. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. These six things the Lord hates. Not very often he says hate. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. I mean, I thought there'd be some other sin at the top. What would you say? Proud look. A lying tongue. Well, I'm just going to exaggerate a little bit. I'm just going to make it look better than it actually really was. Hands that shed innocent blood. You don't think God's crying over Chicago right now for all the children that are being shot? Innocent blood. How many babies were killed this last week? A heart that devises wicked, vain plans. Smote ourselves. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. In the book of James, James is a wisdom book in the New Testament. 
And uh, in the book of James in chapter 4, I'm not for the sake of time, I'm not going to just unpack this whole chapter, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. In verse 4, he says, Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I've heard that passage preached many times, and I think they've preached it kind of out of context because what he's talking about is the world's value system. That's what that word is really talking about. If we are friend of the world's value system, if we buy in to what the world tells us is important, how many cars you got in the driveway, whether you drive a BMW or a Toyota, whether we're a CEO or we're a pipe fitter, you see, the world does not divine, def, define my value system. The one who defines my value system is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And in his economy, I am to follow him and be obedient to him. And that's what matters. Not what the world defines as an attribute, being self-made. If you just did a word study on pride you'd be surprised. I'm just going to give you a few, just a few out of Proverbs. Proverbs 15:25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Proverbs 16:5. Everyone that is proud is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16:19. Better it is to be an humble spirit than to divide the spoil with the proud. Amen. Proverbs 28:25. He that is of a proud heart will automatically stir up strife. Most of the time, strife is stirred up because we want to be right. Guys, we can be right and be wrong. The ends don't justify the means. The way we get there is as important as getting to the goal. We're not going to get on the goal by stepping on other people. The way is narrow that leads to life. Amen? And so for us... For us as believers in Christ, it is imperative that we stay humble before the Lord. I'm going to close with this this thought. Because in James, he goes on to say that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word grace means to have divine influence of the heart. You see, he resists the proud but he gives his divine influence on our heart when we're open to him. I want God's heart to be influencing me, not the noise that's swirling around us. Amen? And the way that we do that is we can literally humble ourselves before him. That's what the Bible says. It says to humble ourselves. Come before him. Humble ourselves and remain teachable. I heard Mark preach on authentic leadership last week, and he talked a little bit about this, about being vulnerable, about having every, every person has weaknesses, right? And admitting those and being aware of them. Because I have found, I used to want mine to just go away. Who's ever felt like that? I just want mine to go away. And you know what I find? I've had to manage those weaknesses all of my life because it's when I yield them to the Lord 
and manage them properly, which is submitting them before God, that I actually become strong. You see, I still need him. I don't know everything. I need to humble myself every single day and stay abreast of what he's doing. And to be an authentic leader, it is imperative that we remain teachable. Because God's word stays the same, but his methods change. And sometimes we can get methods confused with the word of God. Well, that's not how we used to do it. The music's changed. The style's changed. I mean, I remember when in church you didn't show up unless you had a three-piece suit on. You know? The pastors used to never meet unless they had ties and all that. And now they all show up in shorts, and sometimes I wish they'd iron their shirts, you know? I mean, it's a different time. But does that change the gospel? No. The gospel is the same. But for us to say authentic and real and to be used by God, especially at this time, we need to stay humble before him and understand that we don't know everything. I, I feel like especially now with the climate, with what is happening Guys, sometimes we need, to, we need to know what's going on. We need to not bury our heads in the sand. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, we need to hear what God is saying. And the only way we can hear him is if we approach him humbly. For those of you that are young in here, how many in here are teenagers? Do we have any, some teenagers in here? One of the things I did as a young person that I would advise you to do is when you, your pastors preach, you don't, sometimes don't know where to start. When your pastors preach, take those sermons and study them out for yourself. Find out if I'm lying to you. Read the scripture. And you know what? I, I grew that way. Number one, I stayed in touch with what my community was doing. Number two, God began to speak to me through his word. You see, he wants you to grow. He wants us to grow. Because when we stop growing, we then are dying. Amen? So I encourage us, shut out the noise, begin to tune into what God is saying, and don't react. God has not built you to be a reactor, but rather to be a responder to the king. Amen? Amen. Come on. You want to use this? Or are you going to use this? I use this. The... Um the other thing wasn't fitting very good. Glory. What a what a what a great word. Uh, you know, I think I think there's something that we, uh, as a body of Christ, need to be aware of and 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 be conscious of, especially in this political climate and all the things that are going on around us, to do justice, do what's right in God's eyes, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. And you can't do justice without without Loving kindness. <laughs> we so much like to let them have it, but there's got to be the kindness. And we can't really do justice and love kindness without walking humbly before our God. And um, a lot of times grace and mercy go together, and grace has been defined as a gift that we don't deserve, while mercy is getting the punishment we do deserve, right? Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve. So mercy is defined like this, kindness, unfailing love, tenderness, and faithfulness. 
In Matthew 23, 23, it says, Mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law. He's, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and it says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for, in the, for you tithe and, and you do all this stuff, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. But I want to take you to Philippians chapter 4. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now this reasonableness is defined as this. Gentleness, a character that is reasonable, forbearing, moderate, considerate, and don't insist on the letter of the law. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your character, your forbearing, your moderate, considerate, and not insisting on the letter of the law be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I believe that we as the body of Christ need our hearts and our minds guarded right now in this climate that we're in and this weirdness and this wildness that we see all around us and the, the, the anarchy and all the stuff that's going on, all the voices that are speaking. We need reasonableness. I want to take you to Jonah, in the book of Jonah, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and tell them their sin and destruction that awaits them and tell them to turn and repent. Now the Ninevites were a bunch of Assyrians and they were a thorn in Israel's side. They were the enemy. They were ravaging the countryside. They were carrying away captives. They were making life miserable for the Israelites. They were God's enemies. They were Israel's enemies. And it was personal. It was Jonah's enemies. And there was a hatred for the Assyrians. And... God declared in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that all nations would be blessed through the Abrahamic covenant. But yet the scripture reveals that Israel had become very nationalistic and exclusive and weren't fulfilling that mission at all. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. I want you to go and preach to these guys. But Jonah's own national patriotism and his disdain for mercy on his enemies kept him from going to Nineveh. And he says, no way. I am not going there. And Jonah ran. He ran from the presence of God. I suppose there's a lesson in that to us too because of our pride and our desires and our lack of understanding, we rebel and walk in our own ways and we take off from the presence of God and there's judging and revengefulness and anger and just plain selfishness. Hello? In the New Testament, we're the seed of Abraham and we are the church and 
this is a message to us, the, the church, and we've got we've to get it right. Our attitudes and what we model has to be, has to be right. And I'm talking to myself, too, because I can get off on a tangent. How many can get off on a tangent now and then? But Jonah ran. and Actually, Jonah was the only prophet sent to preach to the Gentiles the message of repentance and mercy. And it's said to be one of the most profound theological concepts of the Old Testament. God loves all people and desires to share his forgiveness and mercy with them. And that is what the gospel is about. Jonah would rather die, though, than than see the Ninevites get saved. (laughs) So... He hated those people, and he took off, and we know the story. He, was, he took off to go to Tarshish, and, and, and the storm came up, and they were afraid for their lives, and he knew what the problem was, and I'm the problem. He knew, he knew what the deal was. He was running from God, and so in the end, they threw him overboard, and he, he, I mean, he was ready to give up his life. He threw him overboard. But how many know God has got a plan? Right, And even when we work to our own destruction, the Lord's there to bring us up out of the pit. So then, Jonah has this experience in the belly of the whale. But then we begin to see really what's in Jonah's heart. Really, the heart of Jonah begins to come out in chapter 2. And he says, uh, Jonah prayed to the Lord... His God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Verse 4, then I said, then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Isn't that what we have always got to do? No matter what happens and what pit we get into, we've always got to turn and look to the Lord. Water surrounded him and all that kind of stuff. In verse 6 it says, Yet you have brought me, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. My soul fainted within me and I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into his holy temple and he brought me up out of the pit. There's God's mercy. He, Jonah's getting the very same, very thing that he's not wanting the Ninevites to get. The mercy of God. I mean, Jonah was fleeing the presence of God. Okay, you want to be disobedient, your own destruction, you destroyed your own self, just die then. But no, the Lord had mercy. And he reached down. And he brought Jonah up out of the pit. Why? Because he turned towards the Lord. So the the very thing Jonah wasn't wanting the Ninevites to to have, he was experiencing right then. So he got out onto dry land. God saved him. And then the Lord said, all right now, go to Nineveh. 
me see if I can. Oh, man. I don't know what happened, but I don't have. Isn't that something? That's what I'm always afraid with, these kinds of things. Give me my, yeah, give me my notes. I don't know if I can get back. Isn't that crazy? Save changes to family. Here's another whole sermon that came up. Where did it come from anyhow? <laughs> My Lord. Why? Well, I did make some changes, but I don't know. Let's see. That's always good to have a hard copy, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I could fix it, but, you know, you don't want to just take all that time to do that right now. Isn't that, isn't that the way it goes? Huh? I know. I almost made it through, didn't I? Well, let's see. Where in my notes here am I now? Uh, oh, all right. Uh, glory. Technology is great until it's not. So, hallelujah. So, he went to Nineveh to preach the message. And he said, you preach the message I tell you to preach. Jonah couldn't go there with his own agenda. He couldn't go there and let him have it and say the things he would probably really like to say. He had to preach what the Lord told him to preach. And I think that's something that we need to understand. When, we, when you and I stand and, and minister and preach, it can't be our own thing. It can't be my own bias. It can't be what my flesh wants to say. It needs to be, what is God saying? And is it the Word? And I think, you know, as we, as we lead, as we rise up, as we're obedient to the Lord, that's one of our, that's one of our focuses is, what does God want to say? What's God doing? You see, I've got to line up. Whoops. I've got to line up with what God is doing. He can't bless what I'm doing. I need to get on with what God is doing. Then the blessing's already there, right? So what's God speaking? What's God saying? And a lot of times that comes out of our relationship with the Lord, out of that flow with our relationship with God. We've always got to be tuned in to him. So Jonah preached the message, but probably was at the same time hoping they wouldn't repent. He wanted them to be taken out. I, I think there's probably some groups and people we would like to see taken out. I mean, you know, if we're honest. But the thing of it is, he preached the message. The Ninevites heard it. They repented, and they turned towards the Lord, and God did, had mercy on them and didn't destroy them. And Jonah was mad. I knew it. I knew it. Isn't this what I was saying in my own country before? I, that's why I took off to Tarshish, and Jonah 4.2 says. That's why I took off. I, I knew this would happen. Dang it. He was absolutely furious. 
That's why I went to Tarshish to begin with. And he says, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, who relents from doing harm. This is the thing. God, Jonah knew his God. Jonah knew what God would do if they turned and repented. God had mercy on a people who had abused and ravaged the nation of Israel. And Jonah was finding it hard to separate his patriotism, his misguided theology, and his own personal feelings from the knowledge and the character of God. He knew who his God was. I know my God is full of mercy. But you see, there's all this other stuff. There's all this other political stuff I'm involved in, man. We've got to get this thing straightened out. You know, there's crazy worldviews. There's all kinds of stuff going on. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't let that go. We we get in the fray and and into the arguments and we're listening to all the voices and all this is going on. And then we be, we begin to find it hard. Okay, this is not who God. I know who God is. He had a hard time separating patriotism and his personal feelings from his knowledge of the character of God. And that's why we've got to know him. Amen. And make him known. His disdain for the enemy. Their wickedness. Their screwed up world view. I, if I can be real candid. I mean, I've yelled at the TV. And Charlotte has told me to stop. <laughs> Right? I mean, I've been angry and mad at the stupidity and the ignorance and the double standards and the hatred and the injustices and, and all that. I've been mad at the lack of integrity of for leaders at times. I, I, I've been mad at the lies and the untruths and the drummed up stories and the spins and the opinions of the news and the social media and all that stuff. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Amen? You know, anger and hatred can grow so big that you want to take them out. Just like Jonah did. Some have tried. And some, some have. But it only reinforces the injustice. It only reinforces the devaluing of another person. And I think we, as a people, we need to have, we need to have, we need to have the balance. God's, God's the one who brings balance in our lives. He's the one who balances us all out. You know, it's, you know, it's not your priorities, it's God's priorities. It's not your priorities to say, well, first it's family, and, and, and then it's, it's my wife, and, and then it's my family, and then it's my kids, and, and then it's my church, and then it's my work. And No, 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 no. Your priority is the Lord, period. Done. That's it. That's your priority. Everything else 
is under that. And God balances out our lives. Sometimes there's work. Takes precedent. Sometimes our marriage takes precedent. Sometimes the kids. Sometimes it's, you know, it's the church thing. But God brings balance to our lives. And if we're involved in some of the things of the world and God wants to raise up leaders for political uh, uh, leadership and that kind of stuff, I mean, there's got to be our balance in our lives. Amen? And I know I've got to bring this to a close. So I'll close with this. If we could have maybe the keyboard come up, that would be great. And in in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, it's a fruit. It grows. People are to eat of it. You're to produce it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Charlotte, why don't you come on up? Let everyone see your reasonableness. Let everyone see your mercy, your kindness. To do what's right in God's eyes. I think, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the scripture. I don't know if I could find it real quick. In, in, in Psalms 84, it talks about doing justice, helping to free those who are in bondage to others. There's been slavery since the very beginning. Something of human nature wants to bring under and devalue somebody else. But boy, God puts His heart within us and when we have his heart we begin to walk in the kindness and the gentleness we begin to reach out to help the poor and the needy and those that are struggling his mercy has been displayed in our lives. We would have been wiped out without His mercy. And so we extend that mercy to others. Because God's got a plan. The worst person you know. You know, the Scripture says to bless our bless those who curse you. We're to bless our enemies. You know what that word bless means? It means to proclaim all of God's plan and God's purpose in that person's life. That's what it means to bless. We say, bless you. May all God's plan and purpose, all His desire, what you were created for, be fulfilled in your life. And when that happens, 
to an anarchist, to somebody who is mean, ugly, and evil, everything changes because God's love moves in. And we begin to operate the way God has purposed. He says he's the one who changes us. Maybe there's those of you here right now and maybe watching online. We just, may, we just need to make an adjustment and get our, get our focus back on Jesus, knowing him above anything else and letting that relationship begin to flow out to others and how we relate and how we respond on Facebook and what we begin to share and minister to others as we hear what God wants to say. I just want us to take just a second and just still our hearts before the Lord. I just sense that God wants to adjust us. Adjust our attitudes, adjust our hearts, and bring it more in line with the King. I just, I just feel in this time that some of you that are sitting here, the Lord wants to use you in powerful ways, even in this time. But to do that, we have to come in alignment with heaven and see what God is actually doing in the midst of it. You know, in 1972, Time Magazine, the cover of Time Magazine, said God is dead in America. And in 1974, the cover of Time Magazine had a picture of a hippie-looking Jesus on the cover, and it announced the Jesus Revolution has come. Guys, we've had times that have been tumultuous in the past, but I want to assure you today, Jesus is going to have the last word. There is no coronavirus that's going to stop the plans and purposes of God. You might be in lockdown. Paul was in lockdown. He was in prison. And two-thirds of the New Testament was written in lockdown. The Word of God is never chained. And your mouth cannot be silenced unless you let it be silenced. Do you understand? He is counting on us for what is coming. Because I believe there's a great resurgence coming. It's what he told me when this first happened. There is a great move of his spirit that is coming. And he needs us to be ready. He needs us to cleanse our hearts from every bit of judgment on how we think things have to look, how things have to be. Because he needs us to help lead people to the truth of who Jesus is. He is a God of loving kindness and mercy. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever. And there is no case that's too lost. I mean, he saved Paul. He knocked Saul off his horse. He was a terrorist. He was killing Christians. Right? I mean, would you have liked to have been Ananias? 
oh God, I'll do anything you want me to do. He says, well, there's this one, Saul. I want you to go to him. Can I have another word, God? He is going to turn our enemies around. But he needs us to make those adjustments. He's been adjusting me. He's been adjusting my husband. We've got to see things from his perspective. So, Father, in this moment, in the name of Jesus, I just ask, Lord, that you take these simple words, these simple words from your word, and make them alive in our hearts. Help us, oh God, make the adjustments. Those that are listening, make the adjustments in our heart that we need to. In order, God, to prepare for what you're bringing us into. In Jesus. Amen. We love you all. Amen. God bless you. It's been a privilege being with you. And we'll pray with you if you'd like. But.